Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Investment News Podcast. I'm Jeff Benjamin, co-hosting with Bruce Kelly. Today, we are talking to Patrick Mahoney, the Chief Executive of the Financial Planning Association, an organization with more than 19,000 members. Patrick, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. We are talking about something at uh, the FPA little bit of news that came out a week ago or so. Uh, the Financial Planning Association is making an effort, they announced an effort to turn the financial planner title into a protected and official designation. I think I got that right. Patrick, I, I want to ask you, what's the thinking behind this? What is the motivation? Where did this idea come from? I mean, I think you've been the CEO there for a couple of years. Uh, is this one of your, one of your mandates or, or what? Uh, no, this is from the board of directors uh, on behalf of our members. The title protection is, for your viewers, is the legal recognition of the term financial planner mm -hmm. by state or federal policymakers. We believe that uh, financial planning is a noble profession worthy of recognition and legal protection. As, and as such, anybody representing themselves as a financial planner must be qualified to do so. Um, today, as you all know, anyone can call themselves a financial planner, whether or not they provide planning services to their clients. This title protection enables consumers to identify and engage with a qualified financial planner uh, without creating any unnecessary regulatory burden for those who meet the standards. And at the end of the day, everybody, it benefits everybody. Financial planners receive the recognition for meeting certain criteria and competency and ethical standards. The public becomes more aware of the value of financial planning and consumers are assured that their planner has the qualifications to stand behind the title. Now, according to FINRA, there are already more than 225 designations across the financial services industry. How does this distinguish from that? I think it's a smorgasbord of titles. Uh, what we're focused on is what, how, do we, how do we best protect the title of financial planner? Um, and that's very important to our members. Um, over 80% of our members nationwide firmly want this title protected, and we're being responsive to that. What's what's the timeline and cr criteria for something like this? Oh, it's a long, it's, it's going to be a long game. It's going to be a long game. Uh, you can imagine there's lots of constituencies. Uh, we're going to have folks that are against it. We're going to have folks that are for it. We're going to have folks that are lying on the sidelines, waiting to see which way the wind blows. Um, and that's that goes with the territory. That's just the way the world works. And we understand that. Uh, but we're taking the reason that we know and we're committed to a long game here is that we're taking an inclusive approach to how we define the minimum standards for competency and ethics. Uh, we're not going to do this uh, in a vacuum. We're going to be as inclusive as we can. And we're, we're willing to work with anybody who shares our vested interest in building out this profession. And that's why it's going to take so long. Our antidote and remedy will be primarily legislative, but we're not ready to do that yet. We have some work that we have to do in defining what the standards are. And then we go. So I would say, so I would say, over the next, you know, over the next several months, uh, by this time, 
next year, so June of 2023, we should have the semblance of what this might look like, and then we'll be ready to go, and then we'll be we'll be socializing that very widely. Well, why does it why does it take so long? I mean, what what is the actual process? This has to go through the SEC. Does it have to go through courts? I mean, what what needs to be done? First of all, we have to decide what's the right what's the best path to do this on behalf of our members. Is that the federal route or is that the state route? If it's the state route, you know, which states do we focus in? Um, what's the process to do that? If it's the federal route, who best do we talk to about how we marshal that along? And those are the kind of things that we're going to be doing. The purpose of the announcement was to send a very clear message that this is a long-term strategic objective, advocacy objective of this association, and that we're making a parallel commitment to being as inclusive as possible. And it was time to put a stake in the ground, and we chose to lead. Who do you think could be against this? Oh, who do you think would be for it? I mean, there's there's lots of people. I think I think there'll be some folks that will be for it and against it. You know how this works. <laughs> I would say the insurance industry has got to hate this. You might be smarter than me. I'm not so sure. We'll see. So, so Patrick, why now at this point? The the financial planning industry has been around for a long time. I don't even know how long. Uh, I know it did merge with two other organizations a couple decades ago. It's been around. It's been around fifty years. Okay. And you've been there for a couple of years. Why is this important at this point? The, the pathway to the legal recognition of financial planners has been discussed at various levels over the years by FPA and others in, and others in the industry. Um, it's an issue uh, for our members um, and the communities. And that I would say that the drumbeat of interest stuff uh, has grown exponentially in recent years. Um, based on the feedback that we received from our members, we just had an advocacy survey done a little while ago, and almost 80% of them support title protection for financial planners. The board of directors met, and I can tell you they unreservedly decided that the pursuit of title protection is, is ambitious, but nevertheless prudent objective for the association. Um, it's a prudent objective for our members. And it advances our profession. And that's why we decided to do it. I think this has been talked about enough. And I think it just was time for someone to take the lead. And we decided to do that. Okay. I want to ask you one more thing. We're, we're going to bring Bruce in here. The What what do you anticipate is some of the criteria? One thing I heard, uh, I don't know if it was Michael Kitsis or, or who was talking about this. To be a, You have to be a CFP to be able to uh, carry the financial planner title which I thought was kind of interesting. You need one designation to, to be able to have another designation. I don't know if that's if I'm even uh, articulating that properly, but do you have any idea what kind of criteria we're talking about? Not yet. The, the specific strategies that we're going to employ um, in our pursuit of legal recognition, in addition to the minimum standards that we'll speak, which is what I think you're talking to, that'll be determined, that, that will be determined over time in consultation with the folks that choose to work with us. One follow-up on that. Wouldn't you normally have some of these criteria in place or in your mind before coming out saying you're going to seek title protection? We're not ready to comment on that. Okay. Bruce Kelly? Hey, Patrick. Um, Boy, there's a lot of mystery around something that sounds relatively simple, huh? (laughs) I know. (laughs) Well, my mother was a Kelly, so we'll see what happens. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm sure she was a great lady, Mr. Mahoney. 
Thank you very much. Me mother, me mither was a Fogarty, as we say. She was the, oh, is that right? My mother's the only child of immigrants. (laughs) First off, just tell us a little bit about the FPA. How many members do you have right now? And what kind of dues do they pay? And what do they get? And all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we have 19,000 members nationwide um, that are represented by 80 chapters um, across the country. Um, the average dues are average right around 500 bucks a year. Um, part of that is the national dues, and part of that is what they pay at their local chapter level. Um, we the, They focus, for the most part, on practice support, um, learning, advocacy, and networking. Uh, the latter part suffered quite a bit, as you can imagine, because of the ability to convene has been inhibited by um, by COVID, but let's hope the guy, the nations begin to crawl out of that. And there was a kerfuffle a couple of years ago, right? About the, the dues and the fees and where all the money was going and how the rights of the local chapters, uh, were being stepped on by the national. Do I have that right? Or am I confusing you with some other organization? There was an initiative several years ago, uh, called one FPA, and at the time, there was talk of uh, doing some of the things that you uh, inferred. But uh, about um, a couple of months ago, I made it very clear that we that we are we have that was not met well. Um, that predated uh, a lot of folks in the organization today, and we have firmly and uh, irrevocably walked away from that. It was pre-pandemic, right? If I'm if I'm recalling. It was, yeah, it was pre, it was, that's correct. It was pre-pandemic, but you know, this, this industry doesn't like to forget things. Um, really? And that topic kept, <laughs> <laughs> so we decided, we decided to make it unambiguous. Okay. Uh, there were a lot of, there were a lot of benefits um, about one FPA, uh, one of which was being more inclusive in terms of how we make decisions, particularly about the strategic direction of the organization. And that's very firm, firmly embedded in the culture. And that's a wonderful thing. That's a, a really positive thing. Uh, but there were some other aspects that um, in retrospect were not uh, not received well, and we decided to walk away from them. I think Je- Jeff, and I don't mean to speak for Jeff, but just listening to Jeff earlier, I think he's kind of getting at the, cri- you're, you're wondering a little bit about the criteria, Jeff, right? For whenever the financial planner title is firmly established, what does it take to get to be, to, to use that title or hang that title on your door, right, my friend? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to figure out. So my question to that point is, you have 19,000 members. Could all, in your mind, are all 19,000 financial planners today? And then of those 19,000, how many are have the CFP designation, which is something that your group does not control? The Financial Planning Association does not compl- control the certified financial planner designation, if I'm. That's correct. We have nothing, we have nothing right. to do with the, the, uh, the accreditation business. So, so how many of those 19,000 are financial planners in your mind today? About two thirds. Two thirds. And how many of the 19,000 are actually CFPs? You mean practicing CFPs? Practicing or have the, have the title, you know, designation rather. About, yeah, about, about two thirds of our members have the CFP market. I think, again, I don't mean to speak for Jeff, but it seemed like it would be a pretty simple 
you know equation to say, well, if you're a, you're if you're a CFP, then you get to have the financial planner designation. That's kind of what I'm curious about. Jeff, am I hitting on? I don't know, and it doesn't sound like Patrick's going to share with us the 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 blueprints for this, which I completely understand. But we are obligated to ask. We're trying to figure out. If you're a financial planner out there, a financial advisor, whatever you want to call yourself, whether or not you're a member of the FPA or not, what are some of the criteria likely to be to gain this title once it is, or if it is uh, deemed a legal designation? And you know, what kind of value would people get from that designation? Um, do you anticipate that people will need to be an FPA member in order to qualify? So we're not focusing on credentialing. Uh, at the moment, we're focusing on what the minimum standards of competencies and ethics need to be. Um, and when, you know, and the strategy that we employ uh, to build that out, we're going to be to seek and that will be determined over time. Um, the point was that we, as I said before, we wanted to make a very clear marker as to the direction of FPA going forward in terms of its advocacy strategies and focus, which we've done. And at the same time, we want to build a, uh, a series of alliances to advance the profession. And that takes time. And, and I understand that's not a lane that a lot of folks like to swim in. They want immediate gratification and instant answers. But that's not the path we're going to take. We are going to take a very deliberate and intentional approach. And I firmly believe um, in about a year 16 months from now, we're going to be having a different conversation about what those specific competency and standards are going to be. I mean, Patrick, do you hire a a group of lobbyists and then write some standard legislation for the state legislatures to work on? And then your lobbyists, if you did that, your, your group of lobbyists would then go and hammer the various state legislatures. That's, that's, that, that is, that's one method. Um, but that method only works if they're armed with the right kind of standards and a bill that we would deem to be appropriate for our members. But that's one way to do right. it. There are other ways to do it, but that's one way to do it. It just seems to me that the insur- again, to, not to harp on this, but the insurance industry would be one group who would oppose this because a lot of their agents who sell a ton of insurance product kind of call themselves planners or uh, financial coaches or something. You know what I mean? And, and I, I recognize that. And that's, a, that's, that brings up a good point. Um, I meet a lot of, you know, a lot of members that will say to me, you know, Patrick, <clears throat> I hold myself out and to the highest of ethical standards. I keep myself up to date and all the competencies that I, need, that I need. I deliver holistic 360 view financial plans to my clients and I'm very proud of that and they do things in the right way and and I'm proud to call myself a financial planner that's the vocation to which I was called and I firmly believe in it and that individual down the street they're not doing all the stuff I'm doing but they're calling themselves a financial planner what are you doing to protect my ability to make a livelihood as a financial planner yeah that would piss me off definitely and that's that's and that's that is the for lack of a better word the dilemma that that this industry has looked at particularly within fpa and you know we've the conversations have been talked about and talked around for a while 
and we decided to take a deliberate position and act on it. What kind of war chest do you guys have? This does, Jeff. This doesn't sound cheap, man. Does it? I mean, this is a lot of box lunches. Mm. You got yeah. Well, there, right. We're a year out at least. Well, box 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 lunches are cheaper than plated lunches. I like that. <laughs> no, if you're if I mean you're hot, you know we're just talking about this, but if you're going to Washington, going to various states, hiring lobbyists, I mean, my goodness, you know this is uh, you know inflation is hitting across the board. I would imagine even with the lobbying set, there's never the perfect time to do anything. Um, You've got to set that aside and save yourself. Is this the right thing for us to do? Is this the right thing? More importantly, is this the right thing on behalf of our members to act upon? And and then you go forth. And that's why that's one of the reasons that I've been made very clear to everybody that this is we view this as a long game. We're not going to turn this around in six right. to nine months, not even a year. No, it's like a, this sounds like a three to five year enterprise to me. This is this is a marathon, not a sprint. And we're fully committed to it. Can you say how much money you think this is going to cost? TBD. But we're confident that we have the resources to manage okay. it. What are, uh, again, I want to get back. If you're trying to build momentum behind this, uh, you said what percentage of your members are behind this? 80% or something like that? In our recent survey, 80, 78% of our members indicated that they want the top, the 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 term financial planner protected, and that's you know that's that's very consistent with our surveys in the past. Um, it's very consistent with uh, meetings that we have with folks, and and this comes up a lot in committee meetings. It comes up a lot in conferences and sidebar conversations. This is a topic that's been brewing for a while. I'm sure this is not the first time you guys have heard about this. Um, it's just that no one's really decided to do anything now this has it. been talked right. about for decades for a long time and we have decided fpa has decided to do something about it so why now why not now and we, we just said it's been talked about forever um at, at some point you got to put a stick in the ground and say listen enough we've talked about this enough it's time for action our members are telling us this is what they want um this is what they need and What's the point of delaying this any further? I don't know why. I, I, I can't tell you why it wasn't acted on in the past. Um, all I can tell you is that the, the, the focus at FPA on this topic is resolute. Well, if you're trying to gain, uh, build momentum behind this, and I know you're going to be if you're working on it this hard for what you see as a, a long game. Again, I got to ask, what, what are the benefits that you're, you're kind of projecting to to people that have this title, that carry this title? So think about the, well, it's, it's two ways. One is from, I'll focus on, I'll answer that in two ways. One is on the consumer, from the consumer perspective, and one is from the professional's perspective. So on the consumer perspective, you know, we released this article uh, based upon a report out of Cerulli Associates that about 84.4 trillion, and I think it was a release that we did in March of this year, of a $84 trillion of a wealth transfer in this country from one generation to the next. Now, if you envision a kitchen table conversations across families across this country, some wealthy, some not so wealthy, some wanting, some wanting to be wealthy, there is this conversation about transferring wealth. And on both sides of that table, both each of those generations should be represented by a planner. 
And that planner should hold themselves out to the highest degree of competency and ethics so that they're delivering a plan for the best benefit of their client. You as that generation, whether you're passing it on to your children or or vice versa, that you want to make sure that the person representing you is coming up with a plan for you. When you go to the doctor, you're expecting a diagnosis that that's in your best interest. When you go to an attorney, you're looking for representation in your best interest. When you go to your accountant, you're looking for representation in your best interest. Well, it's the same thing here. We, you know, we always, we're very fond of saying at FPA that financial wellness is just as important as physical wellness and mental wellness. And a good financial planner is focusing on all three at the same time for the benefit of her or his client. So that's the benefit to the consumer, that they're getting someone that stands behind the title, that they're getting someone that's that's in the arena for them. And they, and they know that because that person's holding themselves up to a very high degree of ethics and competencies as defined to protect the term. Now, the benefit to the planner is that we want to build out this profession. You, we talked about a little while ago that the financial planning profession in this country is about 50 years old. I believe someone has to fact check me on this, but I believe the College of Financial Planning first inaugurated in the, in the early to mid 70s. Um, that's when that was the impetus for the movement in this country. Um, but the financial planning profession doesn't necessarily have the panache or the, or the sparkle or the polish of a reputation that medicine does, that dent- dentistry, accounting, or law. And it's just, it's, an, it is a, it's a profession that someone should advocate to. It's a profession that young people should aspire to. It's a, rep- it's a profession that others should take great confidence in. And the best way to enhance that, to build that profession, and to build a reputation for the profession is to protect the title. So that's the benefit to the planner and that's the benefit to the consumer. I can't think of two better reasons to do this. Uh, can you give us uh, any, any handicapping here on the odds of this going through? I know you say you got a long, again, a long fight ahead. Is this, is this the hill you're going to die on here? Patrick, or, my or colleague, what? Jeff is being quite persistent here. You know, I gotta, mm-hmm. I gotta tip the hat We're to, in it to, to win the it. professor We're, today, man. We're, we're, we are, we are in it to win it. Okay. All right. Anything else, uh, Bruce for Patrick? No, I just want to thank him for his candor. You know, uh, we had some tough questions and the, you know, the, the, the kind of unpleasantness of the, of the rift between the local practices and the, uh, and the national organization. Um, I just appreciate, you know, him coming on and speaking, you know, plainly and openly about these things. You know, if I could, if I could, if I could talk a little bit about that. So when yeah, I, when I, when I came on, when I came on to FPA, um, one of the things that I, I there were, I kind of had three legs to a stool in terms of the things that I felt we needed to focus on. I had the benefit of being the interim for almost half a year. Right. So, you know, I had a good idea of what we were getting ourselves into. And the, the first part was I just felt that FPA was a candle under a basket. And what I mean by that is we weren't telling our story. We weren't telling the story. Everybody gets caught up in what, what my friend Michael talk, writes about, um, what other industry folks like you guys write about. 
And, and all those things are important um, and should be paid attention to. But there was precious little focus being made on, on the story of the individual member and the impact that they were making in their local community as a financial planner, how they were helping families, how they were helping generations move from one generation to the next, all those kinds of things, all, all those things are, are attractive to you should you choose to become a planner. None of that was being talked about. Or if it was, it wasn't, give, it wasn't being given the, the, the due notice and coverage that it deserved. The second thing, so I determined with the help of the board that we wanted to fix that. The second thing was that I recognized that there was a, this, now this is going back two years, there was, a, there was an absence of trust in many aspects of the relationship between the chapters and the national office. Well, I think that story exemplified that, right? Yeah, and that's, that's behind us. That's in the rearview mirror. Right. But I recognized that even though it predated me, I recognized that as the CEO, the buck stops with me. So what I decided to do is I'm, I set about meeting with each of our 80 chapters. Now, I had to do it on via Zoom because you couldn't travel anywhere. But I would Zoom in and meet with the, with the executive board of each chapter, just me and them, one-on-one. And it was an opportunity for them to get to know me. It was an opportunity for me to understand what was keeping them up at night, what was motivating them to, when they're, to be volunteers because they don't get paid to do that and, and take their nuggets of wisdom back to the office uh, as we mapped out a strategy. And so far out of 80 chapters, I met with almost, uh, as of now, I've met with almost 50 and I got 30 more to go. Huh. And uh, so I'm, I'm coming to a town near you as soon as I can. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, the, but, the, but, but that built, that built a lot of goodwill in terms of, in terms of um, evoking trust. And then the third thing uh, was focusing on building out staffing resources to support the organization that we become a very defined chapter centric and member centric organization, which we are today. And that's why today you don't hear a lot of those stories anymore about the disconnect between the chapters and national. And the reason that you don't is because we're all about making sure that our chapters and our members succeed. I've been very clear about that from the beginning and our actions speak louder than our words and it's resonating and we have really good relationships now. In fact, we uh, created something called the advisory council, which is represented 95% of our chapters and they have a stake and a voice and helping map out our strategy and the future of the organization. So it's all good. I'm very, very much taking a windshield approach here. All right. Good stuff. Thank you, sir. Very good. Take care, guys. All right, Jeff. Thanks very much. Hey, if it's Monday, it's time for another episode of the Investment News Podcast. First off, we want to thank our special guest for this week, Patrick Mahoney, the CEO of the Financial Planning Association. We also want to thank Angelica Hester, our producer. You can find the podcast of course at investnews.com. Also, Apple's, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Leave us a review on Apple. Please follow us on Spotify. Our Twitter handles are at Benji Ryder for Jeff and for Bruce, uh, at BD News Guy. Stay tuned. We'll be talking to you next week. Bye.